It's the True Penny Show with your host, James True Penny. Hello and welcome to the True Penny Show. My name is James True Penny. This is my show. And to join me today, Mr. John Dinsdale of Steel Chair Wrestling Magazine. How are you, sir? I am pretty good, thank you. I've basically spent the entire time since last weekend when we watched that um, dreadful New Japan show, watching good wrestling. And yes. I'm kind of riding the high from what we watched for the like the podcast, and I just finished Bloodsport 5, which was amazing. Yeah, and, and we'll go on to Bloodsport 6, which I apparently... That's John Moxley versus Josh Barnett in the main event, which sounds most interesting. Well, it was supposed to happen uh, last year, but COVID kind of ruined everything. So it's everything final. got ruined. Literally everything got ruined last year. Let's be honest. I'm trying. I'm, I don't particularly want to talk about 2020 anymore, ever again. Fair but enough. there you go. Yeah, that's just me. It's reasonably, I think, because of the just harrowing stuff that happened. So we're going to look at different stuff this week. And normally we take the tack of, oh, let's look at Japanese wrestling history. Or let's look at what New Japan are doing. Or let's look at some big indie stuff from America. And we're kind of going with a different tack here because we haven't looked at Noah in a long, long time. I think about 18 months was the last time we looked at a Noah show because they'd start putting stuff free on YouTube. And I had a fun time with that. And they're starting to make shakes and they are starting to make moves under their new management deal. And one of the things that they have done is to go back to Budokan Hall, which is a very historic venue for Noah, because over the last 20 years, Budokan has been their kind of their official home. You know, Budokan was always the home of Kings Road Wrestling back in the 1990s. It's where Giant Ballot made his money um, with massive crowds and huge ticket prices. And Noah kind of took over the venue from All Japan Pro Wrestling in the two th- early 2000s with mega cards um, and with all sorts of things that, uh, you know, the big shows, the big monthly show was still at Budokan. But around about 2005, with the downturn in the Japanese economy and with wrestling just not being... Um, uh, wrestling just not being the draw it was, Budokan became out of reach for most promotions. So Budokan was kind of like the ultimate dream. If you could run Budokan, you, you you could be a wrestling promotion. That was the kind of like litmus test. I think AJW was considered a stabilized promotion in the early 1970s when they were finally able to run Budokan Hall. Um, not that there was hard work trying to get to run Budokan Hall for women's wrestling, as you can probably imagine. Um, but certainly this year, Budokan has kind of like come back as the place to go to. Stardom have their 10th anniversary show coming up there. And this was the first time that Noah gone back to Budokan. Um, plus, they've got the deal with Fight. They've got English language commentary now. Um, and, of course, they've got the Wrestle Universe uh, service, which is showing DDT and Noah and Tokyo Joshi Pro. And we'll be talking about Tokyo Joshi Pro a bit later as well. So we're looking at uh, Noah at Budokan and Destination, that big show there. And we're also going to look at the women's Japanese bracket in the AEW Women's Tournament. Not that we are against American women wrestlers. It's just that this looked really interesting. It was kind of our bag, it being Yajoshi. So that's what we thought we'd have a look at. And uh, John, what were your two thoughts on Noah 
and the AW Women's Division, which comes in for some quite right stick. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts when you were, when I said, oh, let's look at this? What did you think? Well, you see, I'd already watched the um, AW's women, like the women's bracket, when you were like, oh, let's do this. And I'm like, oh, perfect. I've already watched it. And I get an excuse to rewatch it because it was bloody awesome. Considering I knew like seven of the eight names in the Japanese women's bracket, I'm like, <laughs> I'm going to enjoy this. And yeah. shock and horror, actually not. I did. It was really damn fun. And when it comes to Noah, I'm, I was often hesitant with Noah because I tried to watch a show, I want to say two years ago. I mm. can't remember exactly, but it was about nine in the morning. I'd gotten up early because someone had asked me to watch it with them. And I, I gave up halfway through. I just couldn't get into it. So I was, yeah. I was slightly reluctant going into this, but holy shit, the difference a few years makes. Was this, this was, was, I was going to say, was it in the period where they were still working with Impact and things were a bit ropey? I, do, I don't think so. I just remember Cody Hall was in a match and I kept making Cody Hall job. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that, that should put a date, sometime period on it. But this was great. <laughs> Like, yeah. the production value was through the roof. I don't actually have to pay any extra to watch Noah because I already have WrestleUnit first. The presentation was great. The commentary was great because I had the English team on and they were very damn well researched, pretty fun to listen to, and one of them was Scottish, which you can't can't turn down. Fair enough. I did watch it on a bit of a feed, I must admit, uh, because I wanted to make it like the ones that you can... I wanted to take it from the point of view where you could easily find it and to get you into Noah, you may not want to get the Wrestle Universe kind of subscription. And whilst I, you know, I don't always support illegally watching shows, you can find it on YouTube. But this is, I don't think, to be honest with you, Noah are going to be too bothered because this was a big card and gained a lot of interest and very, very positive reviews over the week since this has happened. So I think they'll be none too, none too worried about taking them down. You can get them up Fine TV as well. We're sticking with the big matches on this particular card just because they're the ones that are easily accessible. Um, the and ones that I had on Wrestling Universe. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, only I'm guessing the undercard was a fire exclusive or something. It's a possibility. I mean, there was, oh, we will go with it. Akitoshi Sato defeated Kinya Okada in five minutes and ten seconds. Asushi Kotage, Dekai, Inaba, and Yasuki Yano defeated Full Throttle, Hoare, Yohei, and Kei Fujimura in 7 and 52 seconds. M's Alliance, Masaki, Masachuko, and Masatato Tanaka, Masato Tanaka defeated Mohamed Yone uh, and Shuhei Taniguchi oh, in 6 There was, yeah. Masaki Machuziki. And then Sugigaragun, Kazunara Makarama, Kazushi Sekuraba, Kazuki Fujita, Kendo Kashin, Nasawa, Rongai, and Takashi Sugiara defeated Kongo, Hayo, Kashishi Nakajima, Manubi Soya, Masuki Katayama, Nio, and Tadasuki, which was a hell of a faction match. You have to bear in mind that Noah kind of runs on factions in the same way New Japan does, only it's much crazier. Like the, the, the junior heavyweight factions in Noah are just epic. It's probably closer and... to Dragon Gate than. Yeah, the, the, from a faction strong standpoint. Yeah, you know, because like the New Japan factions are all quite old. They they have lineage and storylines and everything. Apart from the occasional things like Evil joining Bullet Club 
and Jay White leaving Chaos to join Bullet Club, which only happened really once a year, maybe once every 18 months. So when somebody moves or ships, it's a big deal. Whereas everything in Noah just tends to be fluid, moves much quicker in that kind of sense. Um, and But it's again, it's back to the tradition of strong style, and not strong style, of King's Road style, you know, uh, the real King's Road style began when uh, Jinichiro Tenru started his revolution faction back in the 1990s with the Kawada and his group of wrestlers. And it's a throwback to the sumo days, which of course comes back to Ricky Dozan, who was a sumo wrestler, as was Tenru. So factions are really important in Noah as far as like pouring stories together. Um, so let's start with the matches that we saw. We're going to start with Stinger, Hayata, and Yoshiro Ogawa defeating Ikotu Hidaka and Katoru Suzuki, 13 minutes and five seconds. Uh, Wrestling Observer gave this two and a quarter stars, but six and a half from the cage match users. What were your thoughts on this, John? See, I didn't see anything wrong with it. Like, um, Obviously, there's a veterans team in Suzuki and Hidaka. Ironically enough, Hidaka, the last time I reviewed something of his was when I was doing the MLW Underground review so it was nice to see him in a ring again in like Monday and Ogawa and Hayata were being evil pricks because that's Stinger <laughs> and yeah the the ending fell a bit flat but the action itself was pretty damn entertaining and yeah I will always pop for a group coming out to Rob Zombie <laughs> yeah you can't really complain with that can you it's just it's the way it is and it was good Okay, we'll move on to the GHC Junior Heavyweight title match. Seikiki Yoshiaka defeated Daisuke Harada, 10 minutes and 58 seconds, to win the Global Honored Crown Junior Heavyweight Championship. 10 minutes and 58 seconds, it seemed longer, this one, than that. And I think it's because it was all meat. There was all stuff going on. There wasn't like... Uh, a lot of the things like we see in New Japan, like let's have a wander around the ring for 10 minutes, a bit of a brawl in the stands. Uh, do you see what I mean? This was just about 11 minutes of kicking. Kicking, pain, and yeah, counterplay. It was very well structured, very well done, and it was just manic from start to finish. It yeah. was out. Just out. <laughs> There's a it stretch was... where Harada is just taking kick after kick after kick after kick, and I'm just like, will you stop? You're going to have no chest left. Yeah, especially that, that towards that closing sequence. It's just such a thunk, thunk, thunk. You don't really get that much anymore. There aren't guys who kick like that straight into the chest, partly because, you know, it hurts. Um, <laughs> but I'm trying to think of anyone who kind of like even... My AM used to. Smuko Satomura does it occasionally. Um, but yeah, this was just stiff, and it was, but it was a well-told story. It was, it was well put together. It was, it was meaty, and it's kind of what you expect from a King's Road-style junior heavyweight division, isn't it? This was the reputation I'd actually heard of Noah come to come to life. Yeah, I heard it was full of stiff hits and people just going all out. And ironically enough. Yoshioka is part of Full Throttle now, so they really did go Full Throttle in this match. There you go. It it was good. Very solid piece of wrestling. And if you're trying to get into Noah, it was a good introduction, to be honest with you. 
Kiyotiki Yama and Yoshiki Inamura defeated Yonakiyama and Nayamichi Marufuji in 18 minutes and 12 seconds in a real younger generation versus older generation kind of matchup. And this was, again, excellent work. 8.17 from the cage match users. Um, and I can't complain with that. This was what you expect from a grudge match tag team match. This wasn't a title match. This was a grudge match. And it was a sporting contest, but there was a lot on the line as far as the new generation of Noah. you got to bear in mind, Noah has been uh, reorganizing itself, shall we say, over the last 18 months. And it's rebranded itself twice, I think, in the last 18 months. And a lot of it has to do with trying to tell the story of the younger generation coming through. Um, Marufuji and Akiyama are never going away. Akiyama isn't really a Noah wrestler. He's a DDT wrestler who was taking a break and in Noah. And, of course, Akiyama is very important to the history of Noah, former global, global honored crown champion. He left the company when um, uh, Kenta Kobashi left and retired, when the entire burning faction, that's Kanemura, who's in New Japan now, who with, with, tags with S. Desperado, Goshi Izaki left. Uh, there was several people left with, um, with Yonakiyama to go and re reform the burning faction in all Japan pro wrestling. And um, he is very symbolic of the tradition of the old green ring Noah, as is Naimichi Marafuji, who's been in the creative process for the last 10 years with the company and is still a vice president in charge of creative now. Um, and Inamori and Kiyama are the young guys trying to come through, aren't they? Definitely. This was very much a sort of, hey, we're going to help, we're going to really make the younger generation work for the respect of the crowd. Yeah, it, and they did. And it, and it was kind of like, this is the thing, like Marufuji and Akiyama are so good at making matches work. I oh, don't was... think... This was my favorite out of the ones we watched because yeah. everything just worked. I I could watch Johnny Ak John Akiyama work for bloody hours. He's so damn good, and I'm gutted it kind of took me until he got to DDT to sort of realize just how good he is. Because I don't um, I don't really watch all Japan, so I'd not seen much of him until he came to DDT and started working with the younger guys, sort of making them work and now every time i see his name on a card i'm just happy i i would argue and i've argued this before that yonakiyama is the best tag team wrestler ever oh like with matches a, like this i'll hold, i will totally agree with you i think i think there's him as individual wrestlers who work tag teams really well akiyama and Arn anderson Arn anderson could have a tag team with a broomstick and still make a tag team match work. It really, he really was that good. Nakayama's at that level. If if you could go back ten years, well, twenty years, and have Arn Anderson and Nakayama in a tag team together, that would be unreal. <laughs> but yeah, the, as tag team wrestlers and tag team wrestling goes, Nakayama's on a different planet. And Marufuji is he's freaking Naichi Marufuji. He was the ace of Noah for twenty years, more or less, or fifteen years, and. They just know how to push the right buttons to get these guys over. And that's that's just incredible. And that it was 
a mastery piece of work. Definitely. I, I must admit, actually, my favourite element in this match was um, Inamura. Yeah. He's, he's this massive hulking sort of man in a singlet that doesn't fit properly, but my God, can he go? And his Kiyomiya was just getting beaten down. You could see him getting fired up and more fired up. And eventually, yeah, they just... It's such a traditional style match, but it feels so energetic despite a lot of the sort of groundwork and mat work that was going on from the vets. It, I don't quite know how to describe it without it sounding boring, but it's just a great match. No, you're absolutely right. I completely agree with you. I mean, it's it's the... It's just it's it's it it just works well. If you've got youngsters who can go, and ge- two ring generals who know how to organise them, you can have magic, and that's what this was a great example of. To be honest with you, uh, in fact, the next match was also the same. Kenuu, the very charismatic and handsome young GHC national heavyweight champion, defeated Masakatsu. Masa- <laughs> I can never pronounce his first name. Masakatsu Funaki in ten minutes and ten seconds. And again, this was the case of the living legend, Makasatsu Funaki, formerly of like Pancras and you know, Pro Wrestling Fujiwari Gumi and UWF and all of those, like the great things, arguably one of the great shoot wrestlers that ever lived, who's 51 years old, best weights with Minoru Suzuki. He is a double hard bastard and he still doesn't look 50, much like Minoru Suzuki, he doesn't look 51 years old. And he went full throttle with Kenu to make this an, uh, another great match. It wasn't like, you know, an epic, perfect battle, but it could have been if they'd probably had a bit longer. I wanted to see more of these two myself. What are your thoughts on this one, John? See, this is the sort of match that's going to be quite divisive because it's very slow, very technical, very methodical. And I'm pretty sure the only reason it went as short as it did is because Kenu has been making like his defense is less than 20 minutes like he's yeah he set out to beat everyone who challenges him in under 20 minutes commentary kept putting that over mm. and yeah um i feel like the ending was a bit rushed it didn't yeah i was slightly surprised by that considering fanaki had been in control for like 90 percent of the match and then all of a sudden it was over i was like oh i mean sure it's a devastating move but really yeah <laughs> it just kind it's of diff- ended yeah, I think that's the issue. That really is the only issue. That's the reason why I wanted it to be longer, I think, is just like, you could have done with five minutes more just to lay things out and tell the story a little bit better. And I think that's probably the reason why it gets dropped off. It's like, oh. <laughs> but there you go. I know, I know Keno is capable of some amazing things. He like, led an invasion of DDT when Noah was first sort of joining Cyberfight. Is it Cyberfight? That's yeah. What it, yeah. And so it was sort of Takagi and his team of defenders taking on Congo and just the intensity and hatred from Keno yeah, towards yeah. DDT is just, oh, the the guy is amazing. But you could see him getting flustered in this match, something you barely ever see from Keno because he tries to keep his cool. And you know you've gotten under his skin like Fanaki has when he is losing his patience. Yeah. But yeah, it was good. I liked this. I liked this a lot. I thought it was well rounded, and like I said, I just wanted more of it. 
to be honest. And then we get to the main event of the evening, and it don't come get much more mainer than this. <laughs> 58-year-old Kiyeji Muto takes the Global Dominant Crown Championship, making him the only active wrestler to have held both the IWGP, Triple Crown, and GHC Heavyweight Championships, the three major titles in Japan. The only other person who can get a sniff of him is Satoshi Kojima, who may be contract-locked. Though I did explain, as I was talking to Emily Pratt this week, that it is a possibility now because um, Noah, uh, apparently someone from Impact Wrestling contacted Noah to ask Kiyeji Muto to go defend the Global Honor Crown in Impact. Uh, and I pointed out that, of course, New Japan have a talent swap deal with Impact. So we're hoping for Satoshi Kojima versus the great Muta, or Kiyoji Muto, for the Global Dominant Crown Championship in Impact Wrestling, which, you know, six months ago, I would have thought you were a crazy loon for even daring to dream such a thing. But here we are. But actually, going back to last week, I love Go Shizaki. And I love Keiji Muto. So watching these two wrestle was a dream come true. Because Shizaki, a lot of people have said this week, well, Muto's old. And it's like, yeah, but Shizaki's like nearly 40. He's not young. <laughs> <laughs> so this was really something special. Shizaki's been on one of those runs with the Global Honor Crown Championship. He's tried to make it seem as important as the Kabashi run in the early 2000s, which is exactly what he needed to do. And... This matchup with Muto, losing the championship to Muto, was an incredibly well-told story. And because all of the little things earlier on the show, like, you know, they did an awful lot of stuff outside the ring, a little bit more outside the ring than the others did. There was all sorts of stuff in this match I enjoyed, but because the booking had been so sensible and kept everything tight, it meant the main event had more room to breathe, which I really appreciated. And for an old guy, Muto could still go. I mean, he looks like he's in trouble a lot of the time because of his knees, which are literally held together with Pritstick glue and tape. But it it he it just worked. It just works for me. I can understand why people are upset because he's an older guy winning the championship, but I have no problem with it myself. What are your thoughts on this, John? I love this. I I was slightly worried going into it, but like as I said, I watched it last week when it first aired, and I was sort of like, I really enjoyed the match it was really well told it wasn't lethargic which it could have fallen into the trap of given the person like the competitors in it don't get me wrong muto can still go despite as you said his knees kind of being imaginary at this point and <laughs> oh, when he went up for the moonsault to tease the moonsault i was like no 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 i no. thought he was honestly gonna go through with it i'm just like you madman you utter madman no and no do you know what? Muto somehow managed to be less lethargic than his protege was on New Japan. <laughs> like, genuinely. This match went nearly 30 minutes. And it felt long, but it felt story-driven. It felt impactful. It felt meaningful. They played very damn well to the sort of minor limitations that Muto has at his age. Because, again, I'm not going to take anything away from Muto. He did brilliantly here. I mean, he could barely walk up the ramp when he was done, because he was that gassed. Oh, yeah. But he'd gone for half an hour. What do you expect? But did it drag for you once? No, absolutely not. And I think that's, that's the main thing. When you've got older guys, if the knees are gone like Muto, you look for 
issues with pacing and there's some obvious cover-ups you can see but he's this is this isn't it and he's not actually really he's not hiding like how can i put it the tanahashi knee issue we all know he has bad knees and they rely on it an awful lot in fact to the point where it's got too much this year that it's oh a nice trigger story oh his knees have gone again and he wasn't muto wasn't doing that it was it was just muto being muto and that's what you want to see do you see what i mean yeah, plus they laid out this clever roadmap on the build-up to the show of Muto going after Go's knees. It's sort of like, oh yes, we're gonna... They've got this story all around legwork. So you're basically going to take these both fighters in with, like, damaged legs. So there's a story you can go off. There's a reason for a lot of submissions. And you've got Shiazaki developing a mean streak, which he shows throughout the match, which gives you credence to the brawling. Like, they had an excuse for everything that could happen in the match. It wasn't just something happening for the sake of happening. Mm, this is like, them. Karen. I was just going to say, it was also cleverly done because they knew there was going to be a 58-year-old in the match and they wanted it to go along instead of, I don't know, bringing in a legend, having him do two moves and walk away with a title and pissing everyone off, which is, you know, not what you want to do with your audience. It's been done before. Company. Yes, um, but this is the thing as well. I mean, well, yeah, that, that particular case, he only had four moves to start with. So <laughs> but, um, with Muto, um, I think... I, to be honest with you, it's a very giant babber way of going about telling the story. Really logical, one thing after another, you know. And that—that's kind of this the the King's Road style legacy is alive and strong. Certainly, I think Goshiyazaki is one of the prime examples of how to use that style to your advantage. And to be fair to Goshiyazaki, he looks better now than he did when he was twenty. <laughs> oh, he was so, working his ass off. He, yeah, I can see uh, why people rate him so highly. He was pulling off like an Okada level sort of just keeping the match going, doing what you need to do, keeping people invested. It was masterfully done. Ten years ago, he challenged Hiroshi Tanahashi for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship at the Tokyo Dome and tore the house down. And he's still producing that level of work now. And the reason why we don't talk about him as much is because he's in Noah. Can you can I just sort of say one other thing that I was really impressed with by this, and especially mm-hmm. by Go? He didn't accept it. He lost in a dumb manner to Muto, and yeah. he was livid. He didn't just sort of go, "Okay, I lost. Shake the hand, go away." He was furious. He was ready to take Muto's head off, and that is what you want. After a loss like that, you don't want bloody sportsmanship. You don't want, oh, I guess the man won. No, he can tore the bloody ring down. He was going to kill someone, and it was perfect. That is the response you give to losing a match like that in the manner that you did. Yeah. I mean, there are times when you want the handshake and the nod and good luck with the rain, like Nato and Ibushi. That's a good example because Nato is the most popular guy in the company. And you're going to kill Ibushi if you don't. <laughs> because there's going to be a resentment towards Ibushi that you took Naito's reign away. But if you give Naito the opportunity to pass the torch, then things sit a lot easier with the fans. So you need it then. You didn't need it here. You needed someone to be pissed. And they did. 
I remember sort of saying to you after I'd watched this, it's like, because we were talking about sort of New Japan being scared. And after watching this and all the production values that went into it and the crowd responses and the fan responses, just the overall effort. Yeah, they should be scared. Yeah, I think, I think genuinely speak, generally speaking, there was an agreement. I think this is one of the reasons as well is Musa looks a lot happier since he isn't running his own company and just working for somebody else. Since Wrestle One closed its doors, all that stress of running a company and a dojo and everything else is gone. You don't have to worry about it anymore. And he's enjoying his wrestling again. You know, and I think that's that's one thing that helped Noah here. But also you're right in the sense of Noah's got a deep bench, there's plenty of stories to tell. Um they are pleasing, they are having to play to an international audience. They can just please their home audience. And it's that thing you say, I was people were saying this week about New Japan. The reaction to New Japan's wrestling has been good, but there hasn't been that organic ooh ah kind of reaction you expect from a from a fan group whereas you got it in noah the noah fan base is into noah big time and they love this product and that's an infectious thing that new japan doesn't quite have right now it used to have it a couple of years ago and it can have it again and it's got the right guys to do it but they need to clear some space they can't keep like you know, they've done Currican Hall that many times, they're starting to not have a draw there anymore. You know, there was a Currican show where they only got about two or 300 people. That's New Japan in Tokyo, by the way. With a good card, they're only not getting what they should be getting. And no one are, because they're producing good wrestling. And this was a perfectly good card. And it was good character-based wrestling, and people I'm interested in, I want to see, and I want to watch more of. That doesn't mean I'm going to stop watching New Japan, but it certainly does mean that mar- the market is much more competitive than it was, say, 18 months ago. And 18 months ago, all of the strong style companies said they were working together, which hasn't quite come off the way that they intended, I don't think. But it's partly because Noah got bought out, so they can't really work together with the other companies the way they were going to. But it certainly has like squared up what's going on on the other side of the Japanese wrestling equation. And because it is a bit like North America in the sense of it's New Japan and everybody else, but everybody else has suddenly got their act together, haven't they? The thing is, I don't think competition's a bad thing. Like if if Noah pushed New Japan to be better, everyone wins. Like fans win. There is no sure. there is no downside in being overshadowed for a while by a company that sort of popped up out of nowhere and sort of given you the finger in terms of quality. Yeah, like uh, this was such a breath of fresh air compared to the lethargic New Japan product of the past few months. This felt really damn good to watch. I wasn't bored. I wasn't clicking away to other tabs. Everything had a purpose. Everything had story. Everything had energy. I, I think as well. The other issue is there's been nothing to fight for in New Japan, in because they put that much emphasis on tournaments last year. And there's been no tournaments. And I know I complained there was too many tournaments, but if you completely put the entire story around tournaments, when there isn't a tournament, you're kind of screwed. So with the New Japan Cup coming up, hopefully that will right a lot of wrongs 
and they can get back to a regular schedule. Just but just put less cards on. That would help. Anywho, let us move on to AEW, who, for reasons best known to themselves, and I'm very grateful that they did, decided that they should have a Joshi bracket in the number one contender match to Hikaru Shida's uh, AEW Women's Championship. I will point out that Hikaru Shida was actually a producer on this particular show. She flew back to Japan and did the 14-day wait and everything so she could produce these shows for AEW. So I would suggest to me... ref on Chocopro returning to where her old stomping ground to ref a match between Emi Sakura and Benny versus the best bros who are the current Asia Dream tag teams, which is Mesa and Balianaki, in probably the most hectic episode of Chocopro there's ever been, because <laughs> Mizunami had a match against Yuna Mizumori to start with, and uh, Hikaru Shida won the Jankin tournament, which is a rock, paper, scissors tournament to win the special Chocopro chocolate. And Shida won it and made the ultimate power move by just eating it in front of everyone, and they all tried to beat her up, and she had to run away. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen Chocopro, you really should, because that is won't one make enough less sense. Hours of wrestling you will get. And a lot of that comes down to Emi Sakura, who is a wrestling genius. And I just, we talk about like, someone did another one this week, uh, like, who was the most influential wrestler of all time? And um, they put a list of like the standards, like Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair. And I was like, uh, Ben Spindler from the, oh, he's got a new podcast, his name I can't remember, that's really bad. Random Wrestling Guru podcast, Ben Spindler used to be the presenter of the Truth in the Show before I, I was the main presenter of the Truth in the Show. Um, he, he was pointing out, like, it's a, everyone takes the most, like, obvious ones from their era, if that makes sense. So hmm. I was like, I, I was talking to somebody I follow, um, she's a TV presenter, I think, on one of the smaller TV channels, and she was saying how much she loves teen movies. And she said, what's your favorite team movie? And I said, well, you know, you should probably, 16 Candles is my favorite. And she was like, I've never heard of 16 Candles or Breakfast Club. And it's like, that's because you're 20. <laughs> <laughs> you should have a look at this. And here, watch these. These are like the what started the entire genre of what a team movie is. If you like team movies, you should watch uh, 16 Candles and uh, Breakfast Club and Weird Science and all the John Hughes stuff from the 80s. Yeah, see, but it but that's the whole point, isn't it? She's well, she's not twenty. I think she's about twenty-five. Oh, she's my, 20... I know what weird science is and what break the Breakfast Club is. I didn't I didn't know what Sixteen Candles is, but Sixteen Candles is like the it, it's like the ultimate John Hughes movie because he got everything ironed out. Hmm. So like Molly Ringwald is is the main star and it's her 16th birthday and her entire family forgets it's her 16th birthday and that's that's the story that's it and uh yeah anthony uh hall or can't remember his middle name she play he plays the little brother who's the bit of a dweeb and they kind of rollick around Sherma high school for an hour and a half and it's perfectly good stupid fun um it's not as like big and weepy as Breakfast Club. It's not as like um, 
intense as, say, Pretty in Pink. It's just a fun team movie. But we're getting off the point because we should talk about women's wrestling. Anyway, <laughs> one day we should do, I should do a film podcast because I had a qualified film, film uh, academic, believe it or not. I have a master's degree in film studies. I should probably talk about films at some point. But anywho, um, let's go back to the AW thing. So, yeah, I, I think Emi Sakura is absolutely getting the acknowledgement she deserves for the influence she's had in modern Joshi because, and I think she doesn't get it because she wasn't from one of, like, she was from the IWA, which wasn't renowned for its women's division. And she kind of got lumbered into FMW when they their women's division basically died on its ass. So she ended up wrestling guys for a long time because there was no one else to wrestle. And she didn't have a great time in a dojo with the FMW girls. And she kind of fought through that to literally found Ice Ribbon, Gato Move, and Chaka Pro Wrestling, three of the most important wrestling companies in Japan. And it's like, how do you have that career after such an inauspicious start? Because you're just that good. You all right, John? Yeah, I didn't realize that was a follow-on. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, say that again? I didn't realize that was a follow-on. How was that? It's like, yeah, he's, he's speaking fact. He's a bit wiser a silence. Oh, he wants me to add something. <laughs> it's like 100%. I, I watch Chaka Pro practically every week now, and you can just see how she's developing new talent. In fact, it was there's a nice touch throughout this um, Eliminator tournament because um, Chiko Shikawa and Lulu Pencil are the sort of ring hands, and you can just see them enjoying the show every now and then as they're sort of running around catching things. Okay, well, let's get to the actual card itself. The opening match was Yuki Sakizaki, and she defeated Mei Sugaraga in 10 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, 6.5 four from the cage match users. This was fun. It was kind of like modern throwaway Joshi to start with, and then it got down to being a serious wrestling match. I enjoyed the second half more than the opening. It's not that I don't dislike modern Joshi, but I kind of wanted this to be a bit more serious because this is like big stakes wrestling, and that's kind of what I wanted to see. But there was nothing wrong with this. It was perfectly acceptable, good quality professional wrestling. What's your thoughts on this one, John? So this um, opened up with sort of like jovial Saruga and quickly devolved into evil poison apple Saruga as she sort of realised, oh, Sakazaki isn't here to play. And yeah, this was a great showcase for Saruga, who is one of Sakura's students. She hasn't been res- she's only been wrestling for two years, Yeah, I think. And yeah, she really held her on against Sakazaki. She got a great showcase and in the end, Sakazaki just got the better of her. Yeah, there was none of this was particularly dominant until we get to the last match, which we'll talk about. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was a good back and forth matchup that anybody could have won, and Sakazaki did, and that's kind of what you want. You want people to be evenly paced. Similarly, Emi Sakura defeated Benny, who's known as Asuka in Japan, which she obviously cannot use in a North American promotion unless you want to cause massive confusion. So she has changed her name to Benny. This was I mean, 12 minutes and 30 seconds of really fun wrestling. I love Emi Sakura, as you probably know, as I've just waxed lyrical about how great she is. 
And I really like Venny as well. I've not seen an awful lot of her work. She's a Naoki Hamada student and wrestles a bit like Hamada, uh, but she has more range because she's taller and therefore has more leverage and kind of matches her game to that kind of thought process. And there's a lot of Lucha Libre because Aoki Amada is really a Lucha Dora as well as being a Joshi. And it's probably her and her sister are probably the two most adept crossover Joshi Lucha Doras wrestlers on earth. And that's passed through to Venny. This was ace. It's just I could watch these two wrestle all week long. And uh, Emmy Sakura won. What's your thoughts about this one, John? Yeah, this match bloody rocked. Sakura was on like another level i was seeing a bust out stuff she hasn't bust out in years because um ever since like the tournament was announced she's been sort of showing more and more on shocker pro and then here was just like the culmination of here is how good emi sakura is when she wants to be and venny just gave her everything back like i'm slightly sad venny didn't win they're like really damn good really good mm. at what they do quite inspirational to a lot of people as you would imagine, given their story, and just, yeah, what a match. This was vicious, technical, well-planned. It was just awesome. I can understand why it got rated so highly, and I can understand why it was given the most time. Yeah, these guys can go. And they went really, really hard for 12 minutes and 30 seconds, and could have gone longer, and it'd still have been fun. Um, Sakura is just, just awesome. She just the quintessential modern Joshi uh, feud of the last twenty years, in my opinion, was Emi Sakura versus Mako Satomura, and it set up. It was two thousand and twelve. It was it set up a big long term feud between Ice Ribbon and Sendai Girls, which pretty much lasted about six months, but elevated both companies to the senior level of the industry because Sakura Sakura can do everything any wrestler's ever been able to do and do it better than any other wrestler ever been able to do it and is a booking genius. And Maker Satomura is the greatest professional wrestler on earth and is a booking genius. And you put those two together and they just put breathtaking professional wrestling matches together all the way up and down the card. And it kind of cemented what they were trying to do and really was breakout for both Ice Ribbon and for Sendai Girls as far as coverage because it was televised and it was just before the days of streaming. It kind of launched the streaming service for Ice Ribbon, who were the first ones to do it, long before New Japan ever thought about doing it. Um, so, yeah, it, Sakura is just ace. And Benny, again, has so much potential for a wrestler that's not old and plenty of gas left in the tank. They're and only 22. Yeah, she's going to be exceptional. See, this is the thing with Yoshi. You are like Rio who wrestles for AW started when she was nine. <laughs> who is it? Is she 23 now or something like that? So, you know, she's got a 10-year career before she's re- reached her mid-20s. So, you know, if anything, she probably would have started at 8, 17, 18. So she's had a three or four-year career. And she, she's just that good now. She is much like her mentor, Aoki Yamada, who started at 18, which started training at 16 with her dad, started training with the the Arsion Dojo at 18, was main eventing at 19, tag team champion at 20, the best wrestler in the world at 21. Ben is on that path. She's maybe a little bit behind that curve, but she's definitely on that path. Uh, the next matchup was Ryo Mizunami defeated Maki Ito in 11 minutes and 6 seconds. This wasn't as well uh, 
uh, appreciated by the cage match fans at 6.54, but it was appreciated by me because I love Makiito. And I had actually people WhatsApping me, not Twitter, Twittering, tweeting to me, but actually WhatsApping me about how good Makiito was this week. <laughs> it's <laughs> so, nice to see so many people finally getting on the right path. Yes. Because and this is the kind of thing. One of my friends who's been a casual wrestling fan for a long time um, started watching AEW because he was kind of a Chris Jericho fan. And every Friday night is AEW night, and him and his wife and his daughters sit and watch wrestling on a Friday night, which is like that's kind of what a fairly unheard of thing. Well, not his daughter because they're in bed by then, but they sit and watch wrestling as a family. It's like I used to do when I was a kid with my family. And that's kind of like the nice thing about AEW being on a regular time slot is that, you know, it's actually starting to widen the appeal for people, I think. And not in the same way that WWE and Sky has done. I think this is, it's in every household. It's the front parlor thing, isn't it? It's becoming ubiquitous. But yeah, Rio and Mackie, what did you think of this one, John? See, I loved both competitors in this match, so I was really torn on how I wanted it to go. Like, I had a suspicion Mizunami was going to win it. Mm. But, obviously, I will never root against Maki Ito. Um, <laughs> I'm glad she got a full entrance. I'm glad she got to show off the headbutts. I'm glad she got to be a bit of a dick with the fake crying. And... Yeah, she got everything she needed to show him before Mizunami just killed her. <laughs> <laughs> Rhea Mizunami like, is a Sendai girl, so she kills people. That's what they do. She loves the party, <laughs> but once once that match is on, you'll get the occasional fun spot, a Kojima throw in, and then she'll just kill you. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Mako taught her well. <laughs> She's, she's a modern-day equivalent of um, Bert Azzurati. Bert Azzurati, who, I quote-unquote, would make you look like a million dollars for the first two rounds and then murder you. <laughs> it's like, Mizunami oh. has the sort of... She's probably my pick to win this whole thing. Like, uh, Yeah, I would make... I would make it depends on a couple of people in this. If you want the best match, you get Sakura. If you want something exciting, Sakazaki could produce something really exciting. Mizunami will produce a big, a pair, a big kind of big game matchup against Kurashida. You can see that happening. And if you want a rematch of the best Joshi match of the last ten years, then you get Ajikon. But I don't think we're going to get that. <laughs> no, given given what the next bracket will be, I think this will be. Mizunami's time to shine. I think quite possibly. But yes, this was a perfectly solid outing. It wasn't great, but it was not awful either. And then we ended the evening with Rin Katakara wrestling Aja Kong in the unfortunate position of Rin having to, well, you know, wrestle Aja Kong because it's always unfortunate. Aja Kong may be 50 years old, but she's still the best big person wrestler on the planet. And just... The look of disdain when Rin like opened up with a running drop kick across the ring was like, "What are you doing, woman? Do you not know I'm Aja Kong?" <laughs> I mean, and it was re- effort, but it it didn't play out well. No, I do not realize the wrestling gods are not shining on you today, and today I will be winning in as short a matter as possible, so I can go and have a fag. 
basically what that was happening. <laughs> it's quite sad though, because like all the highlight tapes I've seen of Rin Katakura, she's more than adept at wrestling. She's quite entertaining, but she didn't really get to show a whole lot here. She had a no. few comeback spots, but this was mostly Aja Kong mauling her for seven minutes. This this was Aja at full A grade Aja. This was nuclear level Aja. This was 1992 Aja. This was just murder you, Aja. She did this uh, Oz Academy run a tournament every year as a a single elimination tournament. And I can't remember the name of the person she was wrestling, but she's kind of a shoot-style wrestler. And she murdered her for 15 minutes. And the other girl got about three minutes worth of offense out of the 15 in and managed to take it to a time limit draw. And Argy was so upset. <laughs> it's like, she hung on and she hung on. She was basically just dragging her around the ring for 15 minutes. And Argy just like, she she got the, like, the, the, it kept to the time limit. She just popped and went, what do you mean we're both eliminated? <laughs> you want to recalculate that for me? But yeah, it was, it was ace. Argy just, Argy just killing people is ace. And I, I kind of want to see Argy in the final because there was, um, I think it was 2018 match of the year in Oz Academy was Akira Shida versus Aja Khan. And it was 35 minutes and um, it was just breathtakingly good. <laughs> it was just insanely good. And you're never going to get that in AEW, are you? This is one of those situations where anyone who wins, like any of the four choices is a good choice. Oh yeah, they're going to have cracking matches, but it depends on how much time you're not going to have Akura Shida, like making Aja Kong bleed and not washing her tights for three months afterwards just to show that she murdered a legend, are you? No, you can't have that because two weeks ago she was scared of a spooky wrestler. So that's the bit that annoys me about like AEW in the sense of you can't necessarily present Joshi the way I'd want it presented. But that's a bit gatekeepery as well. We should just present Joshi in the best way possible for Western audience to understand it, and so it can grow. But yeah, I think it's yeah, it's a bit back and forth on that with me. Does that make sense? I like AEW so much, but it has so many issues. Yeah, I I can't hate the fact that Abaddon was actually presented as a threat because I love Abaddon. I love the character. <laughs> and I love the look. It's awesome. Oh, it is, but it is just like, I don't think Akira Shida should be spooked by it. I think she should be stoic babyface champion about it because that's what she is. If she's not scared of Aja Kong, she shouldn't be scared of that, should she? If that makes sense. See, I think AEW's playing on the fact that most people will not be aware of the fact that Hikaru Shida is not scared of Aja Kong because everyone yeah. is scared of Aja Kong. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine Tony Khan is scared of Aja Kong. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, oh, I did tell. I was going to tell you a story. Um, we'll, we'll. I'll finish this off. We'll finish this conversation off because I was going to tell John this story because we've been talking about this in in DMs all week. Um, but um, yeah, what was your final thoughts on the women's tournament? Do you think it's going to be a hit with the US fans? How do you think they're going to take it? I think I... the issue is. Sorry, I'll just finish this bit off. I think the issue is. How many platforms are they pouring it on? Which we'll talk about in a minute. But tell me what you think, John. See, all the responses I got, I saw on Twitter to this were positive. Unless you're a Cornetto fan, like you're not going to hate this. It's perfectly fun. 
enjoyable wrestling presented in a different style by different style of performers on a platform that is easily accessible. It is an hour long. There are four matches, all of which offer something different. And I can guarantee all of you will have heard of Aja Kong. <laughs> most wrestling fans have heard of Aja Kong. Aja Kong. Yeah. So you, you know what she's capable of. And then watch the rest of the matches. See if you like any other ones. Maki Ito will entertain you if you're not a Cornet fan. To be fair, she even owned Cornet. Like, that. I mean, it's not exactly a big win these days. He makes himself an easy target, but like the sheer level of just no shits given to this man presenting <laughs> like a 20 minute tirade on your existence is just kind of hilarious. I, I kind of switched off from what Cornette would have said about Ito this week because it's going to be racist. <laughs> See, I've not seen if he had a follow-up. This was when she was originally announced for the tournament. He's just like, oh, great, another schoolgirl. Kenny Omega's fetishes. <laughs> Says yeah. the cook. Yes. And not, there's anything wrong with Cook Aldry if that's what oh, you're no. into. We we don't kink shame here, but... No, no, no. You can't no. go after another kink if you've got a particular kink. But yes. then again, he's just completely discrediting Joshi. He even said for a fact, he's like, oh, I don't watch it. That's why I don't comment on it, jackass. Nobody wants your opinion here. No, that's Can the you thing. Tell I got quite annoyed. <laughs> no, the, well, no, I completely agree with you. In, there's been big discussions this week, obviously with Progress coming back, about the negativity of fans. And it's like, the issue with Progress isn't the negativity of fans towards the Progress product. It's the negativity of fans to wondering if the Progress product is actually a safe product and whether it is going to be exploiting anybody because they won't announce who was working on that show behind the scenes. And that's about accountability. That isn't about negativity. And it's this thing with Cornette isn't about negativity towards Cornette. He's perfectly entitled to his opinion. But when you come out and say, this thing is awful because of the people involved, not because of the quality of the product you're talking about, you start to lose credibility very, very quickly. And this is the thing. I know he likes some AEW stuff, and he does watch some AEW stuff, but it's like he can't like it because he's backed himself into a corner over it. It's like I respect Connor. He did a whole ton for wrestling when it was still a different product. Well, yeah, the different product, the niche it was. He saw it at the height of its popularity and at some of its lowest points, and he still kept going with it. So he deserves to be commended for that. And sure, in certain circumstances, his opinion matters. But when it's a product he doesn't watch, a style of wrestling he has no interest in, performers he has no respect for, and just a product that really doesn't require his opinion, I yeah. can't help but sort of see himself signing up for what he gets he yeah it's that's... nothing to do with negativity other than the sort of negativity you've brought on yourself by admitting to being an ignorant uncaring sort of idiot yeah that is the issue it's like i will listen to corner about certain things i you know his his knowledge of southern wrestling in the 1970s and the 1980s is pretty much second to none he is a genuine historical uh, expert in those particular things. So I will listen to him for that. And if I was running a territory in 1987, I would get Jim Connett to book it. But we're not. We're asking him to make comments on wrestling. 
And if you're going to make comments on wrestling, you need to know about the product and put it in its proper contextual place. And that's the issue is a lot of the time with Cornette and Russo and a lot of these guys who used to work in the industry who have podcast jobs go, well, when I did this and that's fine, but you did it then for a reason because it would work. And that doesn't mean it's going to work now because wrestling changes. I think the worst thing is Carnet wouldn't comment on half the shit he does if people didn't point it out to him and just like, oh, we're going to Carnet at this. It's like, no one cares. Yeah. That's He's it. not going to like you because you did this. You are probably contributing to his death. Yes. Well done, He's... dickhead. Jim, Jim has, like, you know, enough health problems as it is without you raising his heart rate even further. Let him leave him in peace and maybe he'll leave us all alone. Um, <laughs> Amazingly, I got followed on Twitter by at Sushi Anita this week. Um, uh... <laughs> and Joan is quite jealous. I also got followed by RJ Singh, too. So there you go. A well-rounded hardcore. Co- yeah, I got I got I got followed by a well-rounded hardcore legend and at Sushi Anita. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Oh, one of the things we were talking about in DMs this week was the fact that Anita kind of like booked everything on the fly a lot of the time, unless it was one of those big things that have been planned long term. Um, and you said you wanted to know about what it was like in a FMW booking meeting. I only ever had one story, and it was from the Dudleys, who, who again, are with other people who should keep their opinions to themselves. But this was funny was that there was one story, and I've told it on the podcast before, so if you've heard it before, I do apologise, but it's still funny. Um, they were in a beating, and it was that ECW tour that we looked at a few weeks ago, where the ECW guys were wrestling uh, the FMW guys. So it was Dreamer, Sandman, and Sabu with the Dudleys against five FMW guys, right? Okay, the five big baby faces, so I boost her and... and, and um, and they're having the booking meeting. So there's one side of the desk is the FMW guys, and one side is the ECW guys with Paul Heyman at the end. And they're trying to finish in, they're trying to get an out for the main event match, which is five on five guys, Corican Hall. And Heyman's tried a few ideas, and Anita's just grunted as this could have been translated to him. Um, and all the way through this meeting, Anita's chain smoking. So as soon as one cigarette ends, somebody comes with another cigarette, lights it for him, and puts it in his hand. <laughs> it's one of those meetings. Anyway, this silence, because no one can think of it out, and everyone's just staring each other down, and no one dares say anything in case anything goes wrong, because it's frigging Anita, who's known to be a bit flighty with his temper. Mm. Um, and nothing is happening, and no one's saying anything. And then from the end of the table, Sandman goes, I got it. <laughs> Bubba Ray and Devon just put their head in their hands and close their eyes and hope the world will swallow them up because the Sandman's got an idea. <laughs> Didn't they go with it though? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I, I, no, but this is what this is what Sandman says. It's not what the idea is. It's how he says it. You Pearl Harbor me and I'll jap you. Yeah. I remember the story now. Oh, Christ. Oh, casual racism. And then, the, and then someone translated it to Anita, and everybody holds their breath on the ECW side of the table. And he just goes, oh, puts his cigarette, walks up, stands up, and walks away from bathroom break. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, oh, dear God, the 90s. 
What Maybe can you do? Though, because they've obviously got some kind of sense of humour about it, considering Jun Kasai's finisher is the Pearl Harbor Splash. True. Well, yes. But again, it's one of those things, isn't it, where... Maybe not in the middle of a meeting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Yeah, he's Japanese. Um, and also, I think as well, I don't think they realise the cultural kind of impact it has in the English language world as opposed to the Japanese language world. But there we go. Anywho, that is the Troopany show for today. Mr. Dinsdale, thank you very much for your time and effort, sir. Where can we find you on the internet? You can find me at John Deathman on Twitter. That is the gateway to hell where you'll find all the links to my writing, my opinions, my whatevers. To be honest, it's it's kind of a bit random at the moment. I'll just see something I like, throw that up, write something I like, throw that up. It's it's fun, and I'm probably going to put a bit more focus on exploding barbed wire matches for the next two weeks in the build-up to AEW's attempt at it that I'm I'm actually kind of looking forward to. They don't tend to hold back on death stuff. <laughs> no, definitely not. Um, we are covering that match. We don't normally look at AEW. We walk at that show because uh, Chelsea begged me to. <laughs> She's like, we are looking at that, aren't we? I want to do that podcast with you. Can I do that podcast with you? And I was like, yes, of course we can. Because she's a big fan of John Moxley. She likes death matches because she watched FMW because I made her. <laughs> um, and if you want to go back into the archive of the Troopany show, we can look. There was one I reposted this week. If you look at, I think it's episode seven of the Beginner's Guide to Japanese Wrestling, you can find out about the history of death matches in FMW and therefore wider world of new of Japanese professional wrestling. And there's plenty of deathmatch stuff you can talk, you can listen to on the Beginner's Guide. Me, you and Chelsea did the entire history of FMW from beginning to end. So there's about oh, seven or eight hours there you can listen to of matches that are available on YouTube. I've you can... just had a thought. Go on. Because AW love their surprises and they love bringing out like veterans and what if they bring out Onita? They'd have to quarantine him for 14 days to get him out of Japan. This this is still Onita. He'd probably be up for it. He's I still exploding so. ex- he's still wrestling exploding barbed wire death matches for DDT. I, I there's a possibility that he could ref it. I think that would be ace. Like this is Tony Khan. He just has an idea and he does it. Like let's face <laughs> it. He brought Sting back and has him wrestling. He's got Taz managing. He's got he's got so many people that you just sort of like ah they they kind of done. Then all of a sudden they're back and they're doing stuff. It's like this this isn't entirely out of the realm of possibility, and I don't know if that bothers me or makes me optimistic. Well, we will see what happens. You can find me at Sheriff Lone Star on Twitter. You can find the show Troopany Show on Twitter, and you can find us on Patreon and the Facebook at the Facebook. It's not been the Facebook for twenty years. Facebook. Uh, Troopany show as well. We and on Patreon, you can keep the Troopany show free forever for everyone. My voice is slowly running out. This is not good. I have to go back to work tomorrow. I don't like that. So we'll call it for today. Thank you very much for listening to the Troopany show. Don't know what we're going to be doing next week because Castle Attack should be sometime soon, and hopefully we can get that watched in time for the show. If not, I'll think of something. In the meantime, take care. I'll see you soon. Bye. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? 
Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.